This is the second of a two-part episode. We're going to jump right back into our conversation with Tasha about diagnosing the Tudor court. I say this as a devout Roman Catholic in the Latin Rite. Religion can mess with people. And it really messed with his head. His grandmother, who was Let's talk about his grandmother, Lady Margaret Beaufort, my Lady the King's mother. Um, mother of Henry VII, but really the woman who engineered the House of Tudor. Yes. Uh, she, Margaret Beaufort is responsible for that, that period of history. And she, um, she bore Henry VII, Henry VIII's <coughs> mother, very, very young. She was a young 12. teenager, 12, when she, she was 12. Him, right. Mm-hmm. So this girl never had a chance either. I mean, she turned out to be a psychopath, but, you know, I, you can well imagine why. Mm-hmm. And then when her son died, she took on Henry VIII as her next project and really right. steered him with an iron fist. And every, everybody was afraid of her. Yes. I think that she was definitely personality disordered and mentally ill. And how and do you mean I in that second part? How I mean in that second part is I really think that she thought... God was speaking directly to her. She's a mouthpiece for God. She's, Mm -hmm. you know, I I believe that her devotion and faith was real. And I've told you this before. I honestly, as a Tudor history fan, I pray for her soul as a devout Catholic because I believe that her heart was devout. Okay. But I believe she had mental illness and a personality disorder at the same time that kind of drove her machinations. And so all of that trickles down to the two men that she's advising. And I mean, I have sons. I know my sons want to please me. Right. And I'm not mentally disturbed. Right. <laughs> you know? I, I want to draw, draw attention to what you just said, though, uh, for <clears throat> listeners. Did you notice how Tasha distinguished between personality disordered and mentally ill? That is interesting because not very many people, I, I make that distinction sometimes. And, and this is a semantic argument and, and reasonable people can disagree on this. But I think one way of looking at this, if you can separate the idea of a personality disorder, particularly a cluster B personality disorder, the narcissists, mm-hmm. because of course, although there's only one called narcissistic PD, they all have narcissism as a core trait. Right. This is something related to and can be co-occurrent with and a form of mental illness, but it is distinct enough that that's why I've gone to some lengths to say, when I, if I refer to personality disorders as mental illnesses, I do not want you to think of schizophrenia or manic depression or long-term clinical anxiety. And of course, personality disorder people often do have long-term clinical anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, how, what's the distinction <clears throat> for you, Tasha? Um, The distinction for me is whether or not it is a treatable condition. And sure, there's something to say for um, different behavioral treatments that get employed for people with cluster B personality disorders. But that's just, um, I think that's just appealing to one's intellect in terms of treatment. Okay. I'm talking about those um, depressive states where your brain chemicals 
not, not just depression, but, you know, any mental illness where, you know, brain chemicals are out of alignment or, you know, your anxiety is so high that you've got invasive thoughts. thoughts I mean, yeah. that kind of stuff, that kind of stuff can be treated either by talk therapy, medication, if necessary, um, uh, as a Catholic, the confession, um, those things can actually treat that. Whereas a personality disorder is ingrained within the being of the person. Yeah, that's, I that's pretty how much, I delineate it. I pretty much agree. And of course, the one the one area that is a little bit softer and and that there might be a little more hope for is is the purer borderline, the borderline who is not significantly saddled with comorbid narcissist, narcissistic traits. Sure. And I think those are, those are the people who tend to be the victims of, you know, the like narcissists if, like and if the you and I, right. If you and I didn't deal with our ish, you yes. know, our, our parents very easily could have inflicted enough damage that we would become that soft borderline. I, I, and I think at one point in my life, I probably was either, <clears throat> you know, either that or, or, uh, I mean, histrionic borderline, uh, that sort of thing is a very common outcome of that, of that yeah. kind of severe abuse. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, so when we're talking about Henry, it, like you said, yes, he was very in love with Catherine. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, people also say, oh, well, he had these accidents and then he had this head injury and it changed him. A- and I don't, I don't buy that the way people say it, because when people say that they act as though his personality changed entirely after these injuries. And it did not, if you, if you look back at the historical record, the guy was obviously heavily narcissistic um, from, from his teen years at the very least. Yes. I think his behavior got more dramatic and extreme. He also had an ulcerated leg for years that gave him so much pain and infection that it would, it would drive anyone mad uh, and certainly phrase a temper. That is all true. I don't think it changed the fundamental personality disorder nature that he had though. Right. And, you know, he divorced Catherine of Aragon after 27 years of marriage Mm -hmm. and to take up with Anne Boleyn. And as you said, Tasha, nothing was his fault. You know, he, I think he rationalized to himself and this idea was bolstered, planted. The fans of this were flamed by his advisors, but the fact that he did not have male issue from this marriage, it was a very convenient way for him to say, God is frowning on this marriage. And if God is frowning on this marriage, it can't be my fault. There must be something fundamentally wrong with the marriage. Right. And he got, which is crazy because, so I think a lot of people don't understand that because of his grandmother, Margaret Beaufort, he was actually very devoted to the Catholic church. Yes, he was. He was, he he was called defender of the faith by the Pope. Yes. I was just going to say he was called the defender of the faith. He was a very ardent defender of Rome. And um, so he, and he knew the church inside and out and what, what was good and what not. And, and, they received, uh, a lot of people don't understand that um, Ka- uh, Catherine of Aragon and and Henry received a papal dispensation to be able to marry Correct. based on scripture. And um, because she was. Uh, she was married to his brother. Children, right? right. Because she was widowed without children. It's a little bit, it's a Levitical law um, that a 
a son, or I mean, a, a brother take his his brother's wife. Yes. Yes. So that that line can continue. Yep. And um, so they received the papal dispensation. And because they received the papal dispensation, and because he was an ardent Catholic, in order for him to be able to leave that marriage, he had to defect from the church. And yes. because the Pope was not going to grant that dispensation. No, because it was and, not, it was nonsense. It right. was nonsense. And the, um, the, the links that Catherine had to um, Rome as well via cousins uh, and her own personal religious devotion, all of that made a perfect storm for Henry not getting his way. Yes. And because she, she point, did not put up with this. Right. No, not at all. She, she said she, she just, it was basically like, fuck this. Um, yep. I am the true queen. I am his true wife. And she was right. She was. Yep. And, and so for 30 plus years that they pined for each other and then were married. So, you know, they had the, the years prior to being married where he was king, but they weren't together. Um, he, he was king. His father was, or I'm, I'm getting things crossed here. My brain is doing wrong math at the moment. Anyways, my point being 30 plus years that they were together and most of that wed, he knew in his heart of hearts, being the ardent Catholic defender that he was, that she was his wife. Mm -hmm. Here come the whisperings of Anne Boleyn spewing Martin Luther heresies, and he goes, oh, well, I've got a way out of this. And so he <laughs> took a way out of it. Yeah. Okay. Hold that thought. We're going to take another break here, but then I want to jump right back into that because uh, I want to get to Anne Boleyn. We can't do all the Tudor. We don't have to do all the wives. We Well, actually, we can do this. We can do many of these shows, but I want to get to Anne <laughs> and I want to get to his daughter, Mary, and his daughter, Elizabeth. We'll yes. be back after the break. And we're back. <laughs> so Anne Boleyn comes along. Now, let's establish a baseline about Anne Boleyn. Let's see where we agree and disagree. I think we're pretty much in agreement, but we should get this uh, out on the table. So Anne Boleyn, as a reminder, everybody in that era was Catholic. Yes. This, this is the beginning of the Reformation, and it's one strand of the Reformation. It did not, it's not the one thing that made the, Refor the Reformation happen. Martin Luther was out there. There were others out there who were mm -hmm. agitating for uh, a revision of the religion. Um, Anne comes along, and, and of course, she's still Catholic, but she's a reformist. Mm -hmm. And she has ideas about reforming the church that later would 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 result in Protestant Protestantism. Sorry, yes. I have a hard time with that word. Don't worry, most Catholics do too. <laughs> <laughs> now, Anne, of course, we you and I agree. Catherine was Henry's true wife. Mm -hmm. uh, this was adultery. Uh, his marriage yes. to Anne. Um, and I, I don't think you need to, you don't need to be a believing Catholic to see that. I mean, within its own system, you know, it's, it's just clearly, uh, shenanigans Anne comes along. Henry is hot, hot, hot for Anne. I mean, they are passionate, uh, about each other. I, and Anne, of course, as we all know, lost her head in 1536. She was convicted of treason. 
adultery and adultery with five men, including her own brother, George Boleyn. I don't think any of that is true. I don't think she slept around. I don't think she was an adulteress in that manner. And I certainly do not believe that she slept with her own brother. I think these were convenient rumors that needed to happen in order to facilitate him getting rid of her because of course he couldn't get a male child with her either. Tasha, what do you think about about Anne that way? Um, I think that the only charge to stick for Anne is adultery and not for any of the reasons why they got her head. I think the adultery is with her with with Henry, obviously. And then um, I go back and forth on this one. Okay. I um, sometimes I believe that she was married prior prior to Henry, and okay. sometimes I don't. Who do you think she might have been married to? Um, it's tough to say because it's 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 such a debated topic. So I really don't have an idea of who she was actually married to. And that's why I waffle back and forth. I can see that it happened because it, that kind of thing happened, you know, and they would, they would pay off priests to deny that they witnessed a marriage. And I mean, this is something that happened. And this is one of the things that the Protestant revolters looked to, to say, look, the church is doing this, but it really wasn't church the church it was the political machinations right yeah right much like how we see i mean we see it play out today not with regard to uh well i mean you could say with some some with marriages but with regard to other issues within the catholic church to this day there are yeah payoffs the degree to which wokeness is infiltrating the catholic exactly like it still happens to this day um but But when you look at heads about it you look at Anne. she kept henry she kept Henry off her physically for seven years. She denied him. He wanted her right. to be, he wanted her to be his mistress. And she said, put a ring on it or nothing. And right. I, I think, I think historians agree that they, they in fact did not have, they did not have sex with each other up until the night they did have sex with each other. She was already pregnant when they got married. Right. Uh, so when I think about that, I think to myself, you know, if she was able to to keep him off, I mean, perhaps she really was chased until she was either chased or she really played good at it. Okay. <laughs> like those are the two. Those are really the only two options. She really played his um, his Catholic sensibilities. That's true. That's if she if, if she if wasn't she chased, she played it. Yep. So let's talk about uh, her. I let's honestly, psychologize her. Yeah. I don't honestly think that she was, um, I think she was a soft borderline. Okay. I don't think she was really that raging narcissist. Me I don't either. think it was her actions. Like it, it wasn't her machinations that got her there. It was all of the men around her who wanted nobility and power. I, I agree with that. And I don't even, I go back and forth. And of course, this is highly speculative, right? Sure. Because mm-hmm. it's hundreds of years ago, uh, we only have so many sources, some of them conflict with each other. So, right. you know, all of this is highly speculative. My sense of Anne is that she was clever, intelligent, mm-hmm. ambitious, um, charismatic. Um, I mean, it was pretty widely agreed that she was not a conventional classic beauty, but people found her captivating and bewitching. Right. Um, so she definitely had charisma. 
I, I don't know whether I think she was fully personality disordered or not. I think she could be and was manipulative. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I think that that Henry was far more psychologically screwed up than she was. But she played a dangerous game. And she lost her head for it. Yeah, and I think that she had to play the way that she did because that was what was true of women then. They did what powerful men told them to do. Yep. And so she's like, okay, well, this is my hand. I, I got to play it. And I had to do my best to play it to my advantage so that I don't lose my head. And then she loses her head anyway. Yes. And, and of course, she came from... She came from nobility. It was not exalted nobility. They weren't dukes or anything like that. Um, right. Uh, they were lower tier nobility, the Boleyns. Uh, and of course, when she was executed, they lost, uh, you know, they lost all of their status. But she was also, you know, women, children. It's not just women. It's it's boys and girls from families like this were seen as chess pieces to be yes. married off for dynastic power, for economic power. So the same the same systems of allocating spouses and using children that the royalty were doing, the nobility in families like Anne's were doing the same thing as well. Right. So she was caught up in that same thing. Well, so she loses her head. And of course, her daughter is Elizabeth I, who's widely regarded as, well, first let's talk about Mary, because Mary is the daughter of Catherine of Aragon and Henry VIII. And Mary was on the throne from 1553 to 1558. The, the intervening time, Henry died in, I think it was 1547, and his son, Edward, from Jane Seymour, uh, reigned as a boy king, although a very mm-hmm. controlled boy king, right. until his death. At, what Was he 15, 16, or 17? Yeah, it was It was the the latter half of teen years, for sure. I can't yeah, remember. Probably tuberculosis. Quite. Everybody no was one... so young back then. Right. <laughs> So then Mary ascended to the throne and Mary, of course, was uh, we call her Bloody Mary, which I think is not actually fair because I don't think she was any bloodier in her executions than many of the other people who came immediately before her and after her in her family. Uh, But she was a devout and ardent Catholic and Mm -hmm. she was extraordinarily hardcore about this. And she did persecute dissenters to the point of burning them at the stake. Um, again, she's not the only person who did that to her religious enemies, but she did do it. I think, and Mary was very unhappy. Mary was, they were all abused, but Mary was treated very, very badly as a child after, uh, absolutely after by her mother and her father. Oh, you think by Catherine as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think that she, she, So I I love Catherine of Aragon. Obviously, she's a human being and she's not going to be without her faults, too. I think that the um, I I hate using the word rumors, but the speculation is Mm -hmm. true that she was probably very negligent to Mary as a mother. Yeah. Uh, Didn't give her the and that was her her animosity should have been towards henry in that regard and so mary wasn't the boy she was the only surviving child like you know it, mm-hmm. it just it was all a perfect storm again to set mary up to be who she ended up being right i want to jump into for listeners and say um there might be some internet connection problems i'm hearing a little bit of distortion 
Uh, if you hear it, I'm sorry about that. There's nothing we can do about it. I will take a look at the tech uh, before the next show, but I uh, just wanted to acknowledge that for the listeners. I, I think with, and with Mary, um, Henry, Henry was awful to her too. Um, when she would not, when Mary would not sign the oath, I can't remember, was mm-hmm. it the oath of loyalty? It, it, basically everybody, when, he, when Henry married Anne, Everybody important was required to sign an, an oath of loyalty that said that Anne Boleyn is the um, is the correct queen. Actually, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna cut here. Okay, Tasha's back. Yeah, sorry, I'm hearing. I was hearing a little bit of this uh, distortion, and and I hope too much of that isn't spilling out into the recording. Um, but she had every reason to be resentful, insecure, frightened. Um, and she was also not a pretty girl. Uh, she was right. She was homely, you know, and she was a very bitter woman who married Prince Philip of Spain and was desperately in love with him. And he was not at all in love with her. He was not at all attracted to her. He spent as little time with her as possible. And, and I think it really broke her heart. What would you say about Mary's psychology, right. Tasha? I think that she um, basically, you know, what I was alluding to before, she's just a broken child. She was broken by her parents and, um, and never really had the opportunity to recover from it. And so what she did was stay loyal to her mother and her mother's faith, because that's really the most affection she got in her life. And so she stayed aligned to that and that's what was true for her. And so defending the faith was what was, was going to happen at all costs. Right. And then, you know, um, she didn't have children. She lost children. She likely died from ovarian Ovarian cancer cancer. or some kind of gynecological Gynecological cancer. cancer. Yep. Yep. And, and she had, um, she, had you know, a, she had at least one phantom pregnancy. Yep. And, and, that, and that's kind of what, what the thought was at the end of her life. That might have been the cancer. She thought she was pregnant, but it was probably a cancer. Yeah. She um, was in her late 30s uh, when she right. thought she was pregnant. Yep. And so her only, her only real recourse in life was to play this villain card really. And there's really no better way to put it. I don't think that she was deranged or disordered. I think she was just reacting to the abuse she sustained her entire life. And, uh, you know, kicked dog is going to bite eventually. Yeah. And, and she, she was, well, she had nobody that she could trust. There was no one trustworthy in her life who was consistent. And as a result of that, she frequently vacillated in terms of her emotions and her level of trust with other people in her life, particularly with her half-sister Elizabeth. Right. Because when they were young, there's evidence that, you know, when Elizabeth was a toddler and a very young girl, that Mary had an almost maternal, she was 17 years older than Elizabeth and had a maternal affection for this girl that, that did sour, however, because Mm -hmm. when, when Henry divorced Catherine of Aragon, he degraded Mary he took her status away. He bastardized her, made her illegitimate. And then he sent her to Hatfield House to be a maid in waiting 
on her younger sister. Right. This was a, a deliberate act of degradation yep. on Henry's part. And it, that is going to embitter anyone. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I just, I don't see how she had any other way to be. Like she was not set up to be this benevolent monarch no. at all. She was set up for disaster and it's, you know, it's the sins of the father. That's, that's really it's, what it comes down to. It's really very sad because I don't think, I think, I don't think anyone ever really loved her. I don't right. think she had anyone who genuinely loved her. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, I agree. And so she, she became this, this monster in our memory because of yeah. it. And, and she was not as much of a monster. I mean, if you look at her, if you look at her in context of her family, I, I don't think you can look at that record and say she was this hellish monster uh, who was out of step with the rest of her family. I think that's unfair. I think the villain, right. the, the villainy has been exaggerated. Mm -hmm. uh, much as, yeah, I th in fact, I think her sister was far more murderous than she was. Okay, so let's talk but about Elizabeth. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and as a reminder, because you all can't see the family tree here. So Elizabeth I, the Virgin Queen, we can talk about that too, um, was, the, was the only surviving child of Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn. And of course, when Mary died in 1558, there was the abortive what was it, 16 days that Lady Jane Grey was putatively on the throne? Right. Be beca um, because, I know, this will just get into the weeds and confuse the hell out of everybody. That didn't last very long. Lady Jane Grey lost her head too. She was a victim as well. The girl was 16 years old, for goodness sake. Mm -hmm. She was just a pawn of these people. And Elizabeth... Um, oh, no, wait, wait. Am I, am I getting this wrong? It was, um, oh yes, no, Lady Jane Grey was on the throne right after Henry's son Edward died, and then Mary came along and reclaimed her throne. I'm sorry, I mixed, right. I mixed this up. So Mary dies, Elizabeth accedes to the throne. And we remember Elizabeth as Gloriana, the Virgin Queen, the most um, illustrious monarch in British history, and she was an extraordinary woman. She was extraordinarily intelligent, native intelligence. She was very well educated. She was the intellectual equal of any of the best educated men of her day, uh, which makes her very interesting. But she was, she, girl, she was all kind of fucked up. Oh, totally. <laughs> totally. She was far more murderous than her sister. She, uh, and again, this is, this goes back to a sins of the father. She, just like Mary, clung to her mother and her mother's faith and her mother's ambition and drove that and so it was kill all the catholics kill all the priests kill all of the religious sisters you find a priest hiding in your home and your home gets burned down you right. like all of this like she was so murderous Oh, but she was a patron of the arts and Shakespeare had his plays performed for her. And right. she modeled herself after a sun goddess and like all of these. We talk about narcissism. Right, right. So I think if anybody was the, here, I'm going to go on this, this limb here. Yeah. If anybody was a pure narcissist among the Tudors, mm -hmm. it was Elizabeth I. Interesting. 
And I think that that was because she felt that as the bastard, Mm -hmm. she had to prove something. Yes. And I think that probably as a child, she never, ever thought that she was going to be queen because her sister Mary, you know, all of this. I, I right. don't think she ever anticipated it. No, nope, But then when didn't. it happened, she's yeah, like, Yeah, but she right. was kind of prepared, though. Sure. I mean, I, I think she had a backup plan. Sure, absolutely. And so she went in just completely gung-ho, and she's, you know, Frank Sinatra, I'm going to do it my way. Yep. And, you know, screw everybody else. I'm you know, that's, that's what really what I think she was. She, I think she was completely about Elizabeth. Um, and I think that that's also why she never married. Okay. There was no successor of her lineage. Right. Because she was a narcissist. She didn't want to give that away to anybody. Now, this is interesting. Okay, so a couple of things there. You've said if uh, of any of the tutors, she is, you would say that she is the pure narcissist. And, and that is a reasonable argument to make. I see in her possibly, and, and this could be just her brand of narcissism. Because as people who listen to the show know, pretty much at this point, I think the salient category when we're talking about people like this is what we call cluster B. I no longer believe there are hard and fast lines between the four disorders. I think everybody has a different helping uh, and a different level of all of the symptomatology. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean they're all the same. I just think that it's it's very much a spectrum rather than a, a system of discrete categories. I see tremendous destructive insecurity and fear. Mm-hmm. In I mean, Elizabeth was domineering, but she was also fucking terrified almost yeah. all the time. And she had, she had reason to be, all of these people had reason to fear. Some of these executions that these people did, they may not be moral acts, but the reality is they were right. If they had not taken off someone's head, they would have lost their throne. That was absolutely real. And she was a target of assassination attempts. She was, she was the first reigning regnant queen in her own right in England in a time when Everyone, men and women alike, said women are unfit to rule. Mm-hmm. Um, this will take the kingdom down. She had to counter that. Now, right. we can criticize her choices, but you can understand the motivation. And Absolutely. She was, her love, her the love affair between her and um, um, who became uh, Robert said, uh, why am I forgetting his last name? He became the Earl of Leicester. Robin. Um, um, uh, uh, yeah, and I'm not getting it either. This is hang so on. ridiculous. All right, Earl, hang on. Hang on uh, one sec. This is so stupid. I can't believe this. I know all of this. Elizabeth won Robert Dudley. Robert Dudley. Yes, Dudley. <laughs> we arrived at it at the same time. <laughs> the long love affair between the two of them. And of course, it's open... It's open to interpretation. It's open to speculation about whether they actually had full sexual intercourse with each other. I could, I'm agnostic on it, although I lean toward, I don't, I think they probably did not, but uh, this is not a confidently held view that I have. But that she was desperately in love with him and he was desperately in love with her. But her raging insecurity and her refusal, her refusal to marry him, 
and her stringing him along for as long as she did. And she strung him along for years and years and years. And then when he'd finally had enough and he said, I'm in my thirties, I have no heir. I have nobody. I have nobody to continue my lineage. He finally marries and she goes ape shit on mm-hmm. him. For mar- I mean, she goes absolutely ape shit, banishes his, him from court for a while. Um, you know, I, th- I, th- I think, I think Robert Dudley was probably also a narcissist, but I think that Elizabeth was the, was the more toxic one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look at her, just her insecurity alone, coupled with how murderous she was mm-hmm. like that's those two things alone just speak volumes to me. Yeah. And then additional to what I, what I said already about, you know, not wanting to give up that um, dominance of being who she was, even if it was to an heir. It just, none of it, none of her behavior screams anything to me, but narcissist. Narcissist. And, yeah. and I do want to point out again, these, these children of these other monarchs, Elizabeth and Mary, they, and Henry himself, they're all products of the trauma that they experienced. Yes, yes. At the generation ahead of them. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that people quite understand how trauma brings these personality issues forward. Yes. Oh, and that's oh, why absolutely. we. Yeah. And, and it's just not something that's really talked about. People think some people think it just manifests out of nowhere. And then some people think that, well, this is just how people are. No, there's I think that there's a good coupling of the two. You know, that it, it comes from somewhere. There is some reason. There's some developed. genetic component to it. Yeah, there is a genetic component, but there's some reason it was brought forward. Yes. And what degree it's brought forward, it's it's completely up to what it is that brought it forward forward well just as just as a well-rounded mature and moral person can be forged by parenting a narcissist mm-hmm. and a psychopath are forged in a different crucible right They're- exactly it's that's what i said about both you and i earlier had we been different if had we dealt with our childhood traumas in a different way we probably we, we would, would be, be our mothers yeah. Right. We would be. And, and the fact that we question ourselves all the time about, yes. oh my gosh, is this like my, that just kind of proves how much not we are. <laughs> you know? Well, I, I like to comfort myself with that sometimes. And then I say, uh, no, this is vanity and it might be your own narcissism. So then I go back and forth all day. Right. You gaslight yourself. I get it. I do. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> but I also try to be genuinely self-critical. Right. But right. you know how Absolutely. it is. You know yep. how it is. Um, I think, you know, what's interesting until I sat here and talked to you about Elizabeth, I'm going to cop to some naivete here. And I think I know where it comes from. I have a, I have a sympathy for Elizabeth that I now, after talking to you, you, I, you've convinced me she's a straight up narcissist. She was a straight up hardcore narcissist, but I have a sympathy for her that is in some way analogous to my sympathy and empathy for Joan Crawford. Sure. And you've heard me talk about this before, you know, that that woman being a dark muse for me in a way that I can encounter my mother and feel both 
revulsion, fascination, and sympathy when mm-hmm. I could not do so directly with my mother. I think, I, I think I've transferred some of that onto Elizabeth because I, I, um, I do find her fascinating. Um, her prose was phenomenal. Um, but when you break it right down, how was she not the Joan Crawford of the early modern period? Right. This is a woman who, as she got older, Elizabeth was so vain, so mm-hmm. vain. She was not a classic beauty, but looking at the record and looking at the descriptions, I think that she had that quality that her mother had. I think she had the bewitchment and the charisma that, that made her seem to be a goddess. Right. Right. Even though her face was not, you know, Helen of Troy. She wasn't right. ugly, but she certainly wasn't a classic beauty. Right. And as she was so vain, you see it in the earliest portrait. She had she had very long, thin fingers, which were considered attractive in a lady in those days. They were unusually so. And she would pose with them. She would make sure when she mm-hmm. was seated on her throne that her hands were shown to best advantage. And you could see it in the portraiture of her. They're almost exaggerated in the portraiture because she was so bloody vain about her fingers and how I'll have to try to was. find it. There's a photo of a drawing that my eldest daughter did for a project she did in, in like fifth or sixth grade about um, about Elizabeth. And she drew the picture, drew, from, drew her from the picture that she saw. Mm-hmm. And I said, now you, you have to make sure that I remember specifying that to her. You have to make sure that her fingers are really long. Really long. <laughs> see, how, see how her hands are in this portrait? You yes. need to make sure you show that because she was very, very vain. And she had very, very long hands. And she made sure her portraiture demonstrated that. And she mm-hmm. sure did it. She did it. I'll have to find that picture and, and send it to you. She did. It, yeah, please do. Actually, I'd love to see that. In an, I mean, I do not actually know the degree to which upper class ladies, I don't know the degree to which it was acceptable to wear cosmetics, to wear makeup. I, I have a feeling that that much less of it was acceptable than what than what is today. Sure. Elizabeth was way outside of it. I mean, as she began to age, the makeup got heavier and heavier until she would get up every morning and have her face painted in this white makeup that was ground eggshells and lead and all this shit that she'd just cake it on and she'd rouge her lips and rouge her cheeks and draw on her eyebrows. No other woman of that period that I am aware of wore that kind of kabuki makeup. I mean, that had to be out of step with everybody else. And it just- Wouldn't you love to see a visual mashup of Joan Crawford as- her as Elizabeth mm-hmm. at that point in her life. Yep. Wouldn't that be incredible? That'd be yep. incredible. But it's the it's the same cosmetic journey, right? It's this right. hardening and this this a mask that slowly accretes over time until the yep. mask takes over the actual facial features. Exactly. Yep. And nobody, nobody is going to do that. That's vanity, but it is vanity that is so extreme that it, it indicates pathological narcissism. The utter yep. terror. I, and people flattered her and fooled her. Even when she was becoming an old woman, her courtiers would say bullshit to her. Like, right. you have the gift of eternal youth, madam. And this, and she did not. <laughs> you know? Right. I mean, really, it's an attempt to turn not. oneself. It's an attempt to turn oneself into stone. 
really to to really to just like keep you preserved forever it's a kind of living embalming right yeah it's crazy both she and crawford did it they're not the only people who've done it but they're two of the best examples yeah absolutely and you know to talk about the you know i cannot believe this did not occur to me until you told this to me in this conversation because she always claimed that she would never name an heir because if she did, her life would be in even more danger because somebody would assassinate her uh, because the faction of her heir would put her on the throne. And there is something to that. But I think you're right that the real reason was she didn't want anyone else to ever be her even after she was dead. Because even when she was on her deathbed at 69 years old and half adult and not, not couldn't really speak, her right. advisors were begging her within 10 hours of yep. her death to name her successor and she would not do it. Yep. And she knew she was dying. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I just, I 100% don't think that that's, I think that that's every bit what makes her a narcissist among any of them. And I'm even saying Margaret Beaufort, I don't even think she was a full-blown narcissist. Really? You think Elizabeth was worse? I think Elizabeth was worse. And I'm not just saying that because Elizabeth was a Protestant. Oh, no, no, I know, <laughs> I I know that. I, I, I know that, actually. We've talked about this, you guys listening, we've talked about this before, and I've said to Tasha now, how much of this is, is Catholic partisanship? And how much of this, right, I, think, right. I think you control for it well. <laughs> yeah, my Catholic partisanship just lies with praying for the souls of, you know, Margaret Beaufort and Catherine Veradon. Right. <laughs> I'm probably Mary too. I've and Mary. I, a prayer yeah, too I, for I, Mary. Mary would, would, would get into there as well. <laughs> Ta- Tasha, this is great. I want to do more of this. Um, yeah, it'd be we, great. We've been going for a while and I, I know you've got kids to attend to. Uh, I do not, but I have other responsibilities. Thank you so much for joining me for this. We're going to get a couple episodes out of this, but we've got to sit down and hash some stuff out again. I've had a great time. Yeah, absolutely. This was really fun. I, I, it's it's totally my wheelhouse. And so I love anytime. Yeah, I there are very few people like that this. will sit down and, talk and have as much fun talking about this as you will. So I got my um, husband to go through watching a whole bunch of um, historical drama about the Tudors and he's mm-hmm. asking questions and he's like, and, and stuff I don't even have to Google. And I'm like, holy cow. I know stuff still. And he says, yeah, I'm really impressed with your depth of knowledge on these people. I said, well, you know, it's been a while since I've been able to break it out, but I love it. I love this stuff. So I love it. I love and it then too. Couple it with couple it with psychology. And I, I mean, that's totally great time. Yeah. I mean, everybody does. There's a lot of um, speculative retrospective somatic diagnosis mm-hmm. uh, that you see. I mean, that's a very popular genre. You know, what killed King Tut? What killed Mary the First? What killed so and so? That's interesting, and I love all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But there's very little retrospective psychological diagnosis. Yeah. Yep. You know, and of course, I'm not a professional, and neither are you. So this is this is all speculation. But frankly, I think we're probably just as close as any professional would get. On this anyway. <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> all right, Tasha. Please give my best to your um, to Travis and the rest of your family. Okay. Will do. All right. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks for joining us for Disinfected. We'll see you next time.